0: The Anchored City podcast is recorded in Anchorage, Alaska, on the traditional lands of the Dena'ina Athabascan people.
1: I have heard the oldest stories that the wisest man ever told. And I cast aside my worries and just went digging for gold And I will scale the highest mountains looking for the bluest blue But of all the roads I'll ever walk I just
0: Welcome to this episode of the Anchored City Podcast, where we're exploring Anchorage's soul through her histories, stories, and people. I'm your host, Joel Kiekenfeld. In his autobiography, Malcolm X writes, American society makes it next to impossible for humans to meet in America and not be conscious of their color differences. If racism could be removed, America could offer a society where rich and poor could truly live like human beings. The white man is not inherently evil, but America's racist society influences him to act evilly. The society has produced and nourished a psychology which brings out the lowest, most base part of human beings. In recent years, we've heard another ex-voice, that of Ibrahim X. Kendi. Kendi's book, Stamped from the Beginning, The Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America was awarded the National Book Award for Nonfiction in 2016. Kendi echoes Malcolm X when he questions, How and why did racist ideas become literally our common sense, in which racist ideas make sense to us, and anti-racist ideas seem radical, extreme, and completely nonsensical and illogical? With racist ideas acting like our common sense understanding of the world and creating evil actions, it can feel like overcoming racism and racist ideas or racial bias as impossible. However, on this season of the podcast, we're considering what is possible. On this episode, Reverend Dr. Patricia Wilson Cohn joins us to help us consider what is possible in the area of racism and racial bias. Wilson Cohn is a pastor, scholar, chaplain, trainer, and author. Her book, Multicultural Diversity, Opening Our Hearts, was released in 2019. She's also a dear friend of mine. Here's our conversation.
1: And there are deserts that I have yet to cross. And I have dreamed of faraway places where imagination just gets lost. I would search the wide world over for one proverb that is true. But of all the roads I'll ever walk, I just, I can't have you.
2: All right. Well, I'm uh, Patricia Wilson Cohn, uh, pastor of First American Baptist Church here in Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, Proud also to be uh, a certified educator in the Association of Clinical Pastoral Education um, and been in that organization for 28 years now. Retired chaplain from the United States Army Chaplaincy Corps as a lieutenant colonel. Proud to be the founder of the Madigan Army Medical Center uh, located there in Tacoma, Washington. So uh, just proud of what I've been doing. I've written a couple of books. The latest is on Multicultural Diversity, Opening Our Hearts, and it actually came out on Martin Luther King's birthday in 2019, January 15, 2019, and doing some more work in multicultural diversity. And Judson Press has just accepted me to publish a book on the Beatitudes, so I'm looking at a new way uh, of, of how to express the Beatitudes during these unprecedented turbulent times that we're living in and integrating uh, our new ACPE uh, outcomes that accentuate about justice, uh, self-care, and some other tenets that we've been looking at. So uh, that's me. I'm presently uh, doing contract work for the Army as the CPE supervisor, and the founder of um, Cones Spiritual Counseling Center, where I do counseling with troubled uh, young people and families here in Anchorage, Alaska, as well.
0: Great! Thanks for giving us a little bit of a picture of who you are now. And then I just want to rewind. So, would you um, tell us a little bit about your growing up years um, as you were as you were coming up? Not you've given us a great picture of what you do now, but what did growing up look, look like for you, Patricia?
2: Yeah, yeah. Proud to say that I'm a product of uh, my grandparents. My grandfather, taking on his last name, Cone, C-O-N-E. My grandfather is uh, the late Deacon Gene Cone and Mrs. Carrie Cone. And they reared me in Cocoa, Florida, since age five. I was actually abandoned by my parents there in Philadelphia. But proud to say that my grandfather traveled on an Amtrak train to get me. And he said I was four my grandmother said I was five. So I I go with five because she walked me to elementary school and told the teacher she can sit right here up front. She already knows her ABCs and how to write and read and she'll be all right. And the teacher said, but Miss Karen, she can't start first grade till she's uh, six years old. And Grandmama told the lady in September. But she'll be six years old in December, so it's okay for her to go out and start school. So that's one of my favorite childhood stories. But I grew up um, with a Christian family, Baptist, grew up there in the church in Cocoa, Florida, was known for participating in church, Sunday school, Baptist training union, going to youth conventions and all of that good stuff in the state of Florida, and said as a child, boy, when I get grown, I'm certainly not going to church only to discover that I answered the call to the ministry and still in church every Sunday, unless I'm traveling or something. But I guess we just need to be careful what comes out of our mouths. But um, yeah, growing up in Cocoa, Florida, uh, little town, I started out uh, in a segregated school system, and then we ended up sort of integrating when I was moving into middle school around, what, 7th and 8th and ninth grade, so um, still working on some challenges from those experiences.
0: I know we had talked last week and you, you were sharing a little bit about some of those challenges of being in a school system that was integrating. And and that leads me to kind of my next question. When do you first remember experiencing racial bias or racism in your yeah. life growing up as a young person?
2: Yeah, good question. Because uh, you notice I sort of pause when I was moving into that story. And I, I just try to t- do some self-care before I talk about it, taking some deep breaths reflecting on it, um, stayed up all night in my bedroom doing my homework, you know, knew it would be challenges because Coco didn't really want to integrate, see black children going to school with the white children and yet NAACP The pastor of my church at the time, Dr. Wells, was an advocate leader in NAACP there in integration. And some of the white people were advocate leaders for the integration. But what what I look at, Joel, and have to still breathe and inhale and exhale on is how I was treated, you know, raising my hand, knew the answer, but the professor, the teacher never called on me. And I didn't quite know what that was. And as I worked on my own racism, I call it the isms of pastor care, racism, sexism, classism, genderism, I realized it was racism. You know, he was calling on white boys and little white girls in seventh and eighth grade and not calling on me. And I didn't see him calling on that many other black children now that I'm sitting here in the now of this experience. So. That, I would say, was my first encounter with racism. I don't remember having any difficulties working with the children in the classes or, you know, we were changing classes and had lockers. I don't remember anything happening then. It was okay to participate in drama clubs and other school activities, you know. But that is what bothers me more than anything. So much so, it leads to... Uh, How do I work on that today and how it impacts me today? Uh, I'm careful if a white man reminds me of that white man. And in the CPE circles, I actually will say to students right up front because we lead off with storytelling. And I tell this story to my students, especially my white male students and individual supervision, as well as the group process, that this is what happened to me in seventh and eighth grade. And I want you to know that if I ever mistreat you or it appears that you and I don't have an open and honest working relationship, let's call it out. Let me know so that I'm aware that this incident is resurfacing in my life. And I want to take responsibility on my part and not mistreat you because you reminded me, you know, of this white male teacher that I had because you're two different people and let's work it out and try to get along. So even in my church setting, because I'm pastoring a multicultural church, and I try to be aware of it when it happens in the here and now with certain, uh, with white male uh, persons in my church setting as well. Yeah.
0: I wonder if you um, would share a little bit. So that's sort of, you're growing up years, and and one thing that stands out as you think back over kind of racial bias and racism, how did that show up in your adult, as you moved into your adult world, where did you see that? Because I know you're saying you're kind of looking back at this eighth grade experience and realizing kind of almost in hindsight, like, oh, that's what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder, in your, how did that continue, or where did you see that in your adult life?
2: Well, even on jobs, if I see uh, professional colleagues or lead persons in leadership, white male leaders, if they say something or their body language does not depict justice, or if it if it demonstrates if it's a persona of I don't recognize you, or I don't accept you, or I'm just gonna dismiss you, I try to call it out and name it. Um, even in the military setting, I remember some of my students saying, oh, Patricia, I just see you as a, a chaplain in the army, you know, or as a captain, or as a major. And I said, well, when I walk in the room, if you don't see me as a Black or an African American female chaplain, then you're rendering me invisible, you know. And that's not acceptable because, yes, I'm a chaplain. Yes, I'm a captain at the time or a major but i'm also an african american female and all of that is the makeup of who i am and that needs to be recognized and i think when we recognize it and name our various cultural dynamics it helps us to respect one another it helps us to embrace uh culture sameness as well as cultural differences. And it's okay to be different. Uh, It was one preacher, I can't think of his name in Chicago, he used to say, different is not a deficiency. So me being black, Dr. Jeremiah Wright, that's who said it, you know, difference is is not uh, deficiency. And so because you and I are different, you're a white male, when I see you, you see me as a black male, okay. You're about justice and about peace. You know I'm about justice and I'm about peace. So there's a good common ground and a good sameness going on. But you have your story as a male, a white male. I have my story as a black female. Can you hear and respect my story? Can I hear and respect your story? Can we name and confront the challenges? And can we disagree and be okay with that and move on and we don't have to agree on everything, but can we respect each other's differences and make this world better? You know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So as, as I'm listening to you, you strike me as somebody who's done a, a fair amount of work inside themselves um, to get to the, to the place where you're at. So these experiences that you've had growing up and then in the military, and, and I'm sure in other yes. places as well, those are just the examples we're looking at. Um, And and you've started to share a little bit, but like, what does that work look like? What did the internal work look like for you as you work to overcome kind of the the things that you carried inside of you? And the reason I ask that question is that all of us have these biases that we carry with us. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would just love to hear what your processes looked like as you've worked on overcoming those biases in your life.
2: Yeah, it's it's, it's work. uh, It's hard work. It's not easy work because... Uh, you know, we sing a song, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Same thing with racism, sexism, classism, and genderism. Let the work begin with me. And I'm so glad because I had never been introduced to the importance of working on racism until I was a CPE student um, back there in um, 1990. Well, really, that was, um, yeah, 90, 89, 90 time frame when I was a student at St. Elizabeth's Hospital. And I was introduced uh, to a psychologist, can't think of his name, but the supervisor of my group was Dr. Cameron Bird, who's one of my mentors. And he introduced our class to a racism script. And some of those questions are like this here. Recall your earliest encounter with the person of another race? Uh, Who was there? What was happening? What was your favorite story, joke, radio, TV program of another race? You know, um, recall your earliest dysfunctional encounter with a person of a different race. And I actually have Cameron's permission. I published those scripts in my book, uh, Multicultural Diversity, Opening Our Hearts. And we actually, worked on this like every summer for for the whole, every week we had to look at these scripts, like recall your most, your most uh, recent encounter, what's the worst thing that can happen involving a person of another race? What could you feel? What would you do? And it's amazing that I've got colleagues today in my clinical pastor education circles that invite me to do Zoom uh, a Zoom didactic on these scripts. And it's amazing how students respond. You know, I'll, I might show them a picture of something and they can talk about that. Um, what was the frightening thoughts? What were the feelings you had when it comes to respecting another person? How did your primary religious community practice inclusiveness? You know, growing up, I grew up in an all black Baptist church. You know, you may might've seen one or two white people that would show up. So here I am now pastoring a multicultural church with predominantly white people. It's, it's funny how it's balancing off. It's probably about half and half now, half black and half white people, because it has grown, and I'm thankful for that. But we still have a woman from Japan, and I invite her every Sunday to come up uh, and read a poem. It can be from her culture or something that she's select and comfortable with. Sometimes if I'm like I just finished preaching on the theme of prayer. And I would say, Yuri, uh, could you find a poem on prayer or something like that? So trying to invite other cultures, a pastor retired from the Philippine culture. Uh, He used to pastor a Baptist uh, Philippine community. And I'm intentional about allowing him to at least preach every now and then when he's there to invite him to come up and share in the communion service. Got a, a person on the deacon board from Africa. And trying to, you know, people say, well, we can't hear them so well. Well, you've got to cultivate the, the opportunity to want to hear people from another culture because they have different dialects from what you have. So that's the work that you has got to be like, okay, I've got to be intentional about listening a little harder. I've got to be intentional about saying, could you repeat that? Or could, I, I didn't hear you. I don't understand you when I'm talking to them one-on-one. You know, but giving everybody the opportunity to feel a part, you know. So it's work. Um, recently, uh, I'm in a book club. We read Isabel Wilkerson's book on caste: The Origins of Our Discontents. Uh, some of my colleagues have read and I'm still rereading the 1619 Project, you know, looking at what what Dr. Nicole Hannah-Jones is telling us. I use anti-racism deck cards by Ibram Kendi, who's up there in Boston, Massachusetts, teaching on the subject of racism. So, and then I just presented a workshop with colleagues at our annual conference on why should I care about race anti-bias competencies? And the good news is, They're integrating that subject area into our peer review where we supervisors have to answer that question. How have I worked on race and anti-bias competencies these past three years? What have I done? You know, so you've got to be intentional and you've got to want to do the work. Um, Dr. Shanika Wells-Brown spoke at our racial ethnic multicultural conference In 2019, I think it was in Washington, D.C., or was it Atlanta? One of the places. And in her book, I can't think of the title of the book because she's written several, but she emphasized to us, Joel, we've got to stop doing the work for white people. We've got to invite white people to do this work when it comes to racism. And you can't expect to come to black people. Well, what should I do? Tell me what to do. No, you know what you need to do same thing I know what I need to do when it comes to, Patricia, are you serious about bettering your relationships with white men, white women? You know, what are you really doing? Are you taking it serious? And it's serious work. You look around in the country today. It's serious work and what we need to do as a people. So, yeah, I, hope, I thought it went on a little tantrum there. I hope I yes. answered, answered your question. Oh,
0: well, you got you got into something that I was. I mean, I heard a couple of things in there. One is this just really intentional, like all of what you were talking about. There's some real intention to. So those scripts that you were talking about is just like the intention to want to understand your own story, your own experience, mm-hmm. and the intention of knowing, like finding out how to understand the experience of others. I mean, that's a lot of what I hear in there of like, and that's not easy work. Anytime we have to look inside of ourselves, anytime we have to look at kind of the context that we're in and areas that we maybe don't, we don't want to look at, right? We We don't want to look at the hard parts of the history or the realities that we're living in. Um, but you brought up something that I was going to ask you about, and maybe you can say a little bit more about it's this idea of not doing the work for other people, this not doing the work for white folks. Mm-hmm. You, any more, I mean, you just touched on that a little bit. I don't know if there's more you can say about that. I mm-hmm. think that's an interesting thing for us to think about, because I think often um, when we start talking about diversity, we start talking about racism the the idea is that we'll just bring somebody in and we'll bring in you know a, a, as a white person we'll bring in a person of color to teach us right um, I find right. that really interesting that you're saying don't let's stop doing the work for them so is there more you can say about that
2: yeah the way i see it joel is and it's, you just gave a good example let's bring in uh you know uh is excuse me isabel wickerson on dr nicole uh, brown from uh howard or or kendy from boston university to show us what to do. Okay, then it's like Martin Luther King book. Where do we go from here? Once you bring, it's just like we did the workshop at ACPE conference this year. Why should I care about race and anti-bias competencies? We didn't give any handouts. We gave about three references, but we want you to be hungry enough to you know, do some research on, okay, who has written something on the subject? Let me read the book. Let's join a book club and this month or the next quarter, the next three months, we're gonna read books on uh, injustice. We're gonna read the 1619 Project. We're gonna read casts. We're gonna read something uh, by anti-racist, uh, the debt caused by Kendi, by e, uh, is Ibram X. Kendi. And then we're gonna start meeting in groups and talking about what happened in the workplace, what happened in your community of faith this week, you know, uh, and what can we do about it? And then taking on responsibility of doing something about it. So I think those are just some snippets of, uh, it's just like what I'm doing now, I've got a a group about eight to 10 women of color in our Bible study class and a Caucasian male teaches the class and when he says something uh, that's just out of order, I'll call it out. And he knows I respect him. I know he respects me, but I have to call it out and say, now, wait a minute. Are you aware of what you just said? Are you aware of, because the, the class is by Zoom, are you aware that you got eight African-American women here who from the mother country? And to say something like that, well, the Bible says, I don't care what the Bible says. I'm wondering how you can take that Bible and interpret it for 2023 for us to talk honestly about. That's what Paul said. But what are we saying tonight to help us not to be like that? You know, to help us not to treat people the way they were treated during the biblical days. That that's what I want to see. So uh, I've been doing some little nuggets in church. Yesterday, for example, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., I forget the year now, but it was October 14th, it was 1961 or something, that he received the Nobel Peace Prize. And so just to give a little nugget like that at the end of the service, I'm educating everybody in that congregation, the blacks and the whites, you know, uh, this is what this is the historical moment that happened. For, for example, today, 1968, Olympians gave Black Power salute at the games. You probably remember when they were standing up there giving the Black, you know, well, what, what, what did they do that for? John Carlos and Tommy Smith shocked viewers and made civil rights history when they proudly gave the Black Power salute during the national anthem at the 1968 Mexico City Olympic medal ceremony. Let's talk about it. You don't feel good about it? Okay. What? Why is it that you don't feel good about it? And why is it that I don't necessarily say I would have done it, but can I appreciate and seek to understand why they did it? You know. What so I, mean- I think having the dialogues, having the open and honest yeah. dialogues is going to help us out. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. It's as you were talking, I think there's two things
0: that come to mind as you're talking. There's this idea of like not being afraid to have the conversation. Yeah to, to be able to just say, Hey, this makes me uncomfortable. This doesn't make me like, this was my experience. This was not my experience. Um, Mm -hmm. And then also to have enough relational depth to have those conversations where, like you said, I, he knows I love him. Like, and Mm -hmm. we have relationships so I can, we can have this conversation. And I think those two things seem so key to me Mm -hmm. um, to how we move forward with this is being able to get to know each other enough that we can have hard conversations Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and be able to, to
2: to grow, all of us. Um, Absolutely, absolutely. And you just said it. We've got to get to the point where we are comfortable enough, and I'm going to say courageous enough, to challenge each other to have these hard, difficult conversations and still respect each other's space. To me, that's the work. We're both doing the work. We're both committed to this open and honest relationship to own, hey, we got to do this work. And it doesn't mean, I mentioned in a sermon the other week, uh, uh, the title of the sermon was Common Ground, you know, and Howard Thurman talks about common ground. And this pastor out of Philadelphia had written a devotional about common ground. And I said, you know what, let's just own. White, your white, uh, white people, your white ancestors brought black people over here Enslave chains. You brought us over here. We didn't ask to come here. But when we got here, look at what we did. Benjamin Banneker designed the whole Washington D.C. You know, you got another black man who designed Chicago, Illinois, and you've had black presidents and black mayors and black vice presidents, and and now black on the uh, Supreme Court justice. We're here, okay. All black people not right. We need some work on each other's relationships. All black people not mad and not glad. And all white people not wrong. Now that we're here, how can we continue to work together and come together and find some common ground? We've got to learn how to find some common ground and not be afraid to have these dialogues. Say what you mean and mean what you say. And I said, find something to stand up for. Even if you can't be in everything, can you stand with people that you know need to be treated right and need to allow justice and righteousness in their lives? Can you at least stand with them? So that was a tough sermon. I I can tell when I'm doing tough sermons. Because I get these interesting feelings afterwards. After I'm trying to sit, and it's like, okay, Patricia, next, next, but but you got to do it. Can't run away from it. So the theme
0: for this year for the podcast, um, we're we're asking this question: What is possible? And that's why we're having this conversation. <laughs> for some folks, it feels this topic feels almost impossible right for some folks so the question i would have for you is when you think about racial bias and racism what do you see as possible like where could we possibly go and maybe this is maybe we've been talking about it this whole time but how would you answer that question what is possible
2: yeah it's possible for us to do the work you know it's possible for us to own that we've got some work to do it's possible to confront each other and, and agree to disagree and still end up on common ground to own that, you know what? This is where I stand today with this. And I'm going to stand here. And we're going to continue to wrestle with this subject and work with this subject until we can still find some common ground to make our communities, our families, our spaces of uh, grace and peace better you know, to own that. Yeah, I got to do the work. It's possible. It's not impossible. It's possible to do the work when you commit to wanting to do it. And to own It's hard work. But, but you got a sister or brother who's going to support you through it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to ask the final question. You've shared a lot with us um, over the last little, little bit of time here. You're a busy person out in the world. I know that training <laughs> and pastoring and writing and all the things that you're doing, counseling. So what is something that you do in your life, um, maybe a spiritual or a self-care or a mindfulness practice that you do on a regular basis that keeps you grounded in the work that you're doing?
2: Yeah, I believe it's, it's church. You know, there's uh, some theories out there that says people who got a faith or a relationship with God or a higher power, they're beginning to live longer. Their illnesses are sort of decreasing because they got this faith that they're holding on to. Their, their lives are more full of joy. And And I just believe it's my, that's one thing that my grandparents instilled in me, the importance of my faith, and religion and seeking seeking God in everything that I do. And for me, it's, I, I, I experience. I read several daily devotions from a variety of uh, spaces. Uh, it, it can be a Jewish word. It could, it could be a Christian word. It could be something that, you know, I'm, wow, this is interesting what this person has written today. Let, let me hold on to this. And, and see where I am in this statement, you know? And, um, it, and it can be a, a power of pertaining to race, race, sex, gender, you know, identity, but it's, it's, it's a thinking and a meditating on it, saying, okay, where am I with this today? And what can I do with this particular subject today? And sharing, I've often shared it with students, or. So It'll show up at the right time to put into a sermon piece or a prayer. You know, I'm a woman of prayer. I believe in the power of prayer, and I believe that's that's what sustains me. Yeah, that's what gives me hope and uh, keep me mindful that yeah, things are possible and we can do this work.
0: Well, Patricia, thank you so much for spending time with us and talking about this important subject, and giving us a little insight into how you've navigated that and how we all might move forward and be able to do the work. So, thank you so much.
2: But thank you, Joel. It was an opportunity and an honor to be here with you. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, yeah, let's keep doing the work. I appreciate learning and working with you. And uh, we got some work to do, and, we, and this is a good start do podcasts and get it out there for people and 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 hear where we are and how we can continue to move forward the good news is i know i'm not perfect with it and there's work still to be done and and i know i have an open heart to keep doing the work and inviting people like you and others in my lives to keep us going absolutely thank you so much
0: thanks to Patricia Wilson Cohn for joining me on the podcast and giving us ways to consider how it might be possible to overcome racism and racial bias. Join us on our next episode when we will consider what is possible with substance misuse and addiction. Until next time, I'm Joel Kuechenfeld. Be good out there. Thank you so much for listening. We're grateful for you, our listeners. If you are grateful for what you're hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen, and recommend us to your friends. Those are small things, but they make a huge difference. The Anchored City Podcast is a production of the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative. The mission of the collaborative is to train the heads, hearts, and hands of urban leaders to love their city and seek its peace. When we say peace, we mean a desire to see a world where all things are the way they're supposed to be, for all people. Find us online at anchorageutc.org or on social media at Anchorage UTC. Resources used to make this episode can be found in the show details. Our theme music is by Anchorage's own Monica Lettner.